welcome to The Breakdown with Barack Rebecca, a weekly podcast that breaks down politics, policy, and current affairs. I'm Michael Broadcorp. And I'm Becky Share. And we're excited to welcome a guest host for the first time in 2024, the Honorable Jeff Kolb. Today we are bringing you an interview with Minneapolis City Council member Lene Palmasano. Palmasano was first elected to the Minneapolis City Council in 2013 and represents the 13th Ward. Palmasano also formerly served as vice president of the council. With Palmasano, we'll break down her background and her involvement with the council. We'll then break down the recent action by the Minneapolis City Council to pass a resolution related to the Hamas-Israel war. And we'll hear from Palmasano about the alternative resolution she introduced. We'll also discuss local governments passing resolutions or making statements on foreign conflicts and affairs. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoy the show. We're excited to welcome Council Member Lene Palmisano today. So let's kick things off with your background. Why did you decide to run for City Council and serve your community? Sure. Thanks for inviting me to this program, Becky um, and Michael. You know, Minneapolis has been my home for over half my life now. And um, while I used to work in the private sector, I did a lot of um, work to improve our community. During my tenure here in Minneapolis, I was part of my local neighborhood council and leading it. I've been a running coach at our local high school. Um, been part of the founding of farmers markets and and other kinds of initiatives around here. Um, when I first ran for council, I was motivated really by the opportunity to improve my community, right, and serve my neighbors in a public service kind of way. And now as the longest current tenured member of the council, I've been on the council 10 years, um, I feel this same obligation to service, but I understand my work a little bit differently. Um, in the era of of sound bites and slogans and um, trying to get popularity in tweets, my focus is really about um, policy making and not political expediency. So you mentioned you're the longest serving or longest tenured member at ten years. Um, I know that there was just recently an election at which changed the makeup of the council, I think fairly dramatically. But what's the average? tenure at this point? Because I know you've got a mix of some people, uh, some familiar names that have been around for a while, but the but you've also got some new faces as well. Yeah. So um, myself having 10 years on this body, after that, there's my colleagues, Andrea Jenkins and Jeremiah Ellison at six years. And after that, others have had either two years or are brand new. So and, we have a very young tenured council. Back when I was... Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to ask how redistricting works with you, with you guys because you do have lines that change. And so does that give you a, a strange like two-year term at some point? Exactly. Um, these are typically four-year terms for um, members of council. But for a new state law that came into place, authored by <laughs> Phyllis Kahn, that caused... Uh, redistricting, well, redistricting happens every year after the census, but after that, um, it caused only the city council to have to run again for our seats. So we are in, caught in the first midst of two two-year terms, and then we will be back on a full schedule where we have um, something that I think is great about Minneapolis is every four years, we have a conversation that's about the whole city. It's about the mayor. It's about the park board. It's about city council. And it's about our board of estimate and taxation that sets our limits for taxing. Uh, so it's kind of nice to have a full city conversation. Last year was kind of weird because it was an election cycle, but it was only individual, only city council on the ballot. That was literally the only thing on the ballot last year. And it incurred expense and a lot of time and energy to go in to have to go through that election because of the Phyllis Kahn rule. So now you, like you mentioned, you've been in for 10 years. What are some of the key issues that you have been focused on while serving on this Minneapolis City Council for the last decade? Yeah. Um, you know, I'm big on core city services 
functioning and innovating, but I came into this role focused on public safety, and my work really continues in that space. So a while back, it was police body cameras, a lot about PTSD and health and wellness of our first responders. Um, I've done a lot of work with our fire department, who's actually usually the first on scene for many kinds of calls. Um, I've worked with co-responder models and with, you know, having social workers connected into our police department in terms of a response and a lot of police training. Um, I'm big on public safety. Secondly, I'm, I'm here because I want Minneapolis to be a healthy place to raise a family. I'm raising a family here. I want our city to really advance our goals of being a great place to do that. So pedestrian safety um, to climate equity plan efforts, environmental initiatives are are big to me. Um, economic equity. So I've been the author of our wage theft ordinance. Uh, Minneapolis did sick and safe time rules and ordinances way before the state did. More recently, um, that's ventured into the topic on and of rent control, where I come down on that is against it. But um, I'm a bit of a good governance geek, maybe not so much as Jeff. Um, I ran our city's budget committee for a long time. I'm really into um, procedure. And also in that 2021 election, uh, a lesser talked about ballot measure was about how our government is organized. And so it really predicated a complete government structure overhaul. And I led all the work on that this last term. I was going to actually ask where you were on the strong mayor conversion and, and how was that? Were you was that part of where were you on that topic? I came down as as yes on one. Okay. Um, so, you know, having worked at City Hall for a while and seeing how um, challenging it is to have a decision making structure that's like a bowl of spaghetti, um, I saw a lot of value in being able to smooth out an executive structure versus a legislative branch. And, um, you know, a typical talking point about that, but one that is very clarifying, I think, is that in in regular times, that could be confusing. But um, in crisis times, like we had in 2020, it, it, uh, uh, both with COVID, uh, both with our crisis after the murder of George Floyd, that became um, untenable. We didn't have a strong way to make decisions um, as a city, in part because of our government structure. So one thing we do here, we try to talk about, I guess I try to talk about because um, I love it and it's near and dear to my heart, but we do some education on when, we're, when we have guests on about how cities work. And one of the problems that we have is that we we try to focus on all of the other several hundred cities in in Minnesota besides Minneapolis. And then you guys come in and kind of screw everything up because your structure is totally different than everybody else's because yep. you even have, you have a strong mayor and you have a council president and all this stuff. And we try to kind of point out that in a, in a suburban city or in a, in mo in the vast majority of cities in Minnesota, you know, you have a, you have kind of a, the, this one, I wouldn't even call it a weak mayor. It's not even that. It's just like, a, you know, it's just a council and the, the mayor is just the head of the, the, Part of it. the council mm -hmm. and all of that. And they have an equal vote and all that kind of stuff. And then Minneapolis comes in and complicates everything. And people are like, isn't it like that it is in Minneapolis? And you're like, no. We're a full-time no, council and we're a full-time right. rulemaking body. Um, and, and that is a lot different. We also, in part, um, as the kind of council that we are and maybe just – maybe this is a broader statement, I just haven't been part of other local governments in general, is you know, or would remember, you get all the constituent issues. It doesn't matter what level um, of government people are trying to access. You will hear um, what's on the minds of people from um, garbage pickup issues to some of these federal kinds of um, emotions and um, politics and, and please, right, to city officials. And you do have a, you do have an office at City Hall or somewhere in the, yes? Yes, you have we're an usually at City yes. Hall. Um, right now oh. you're finding me in our temporary offices because the entire third floor of City Hall, which is the 
mayor's office and the council offices is all getting restacked, reappropriated, as it makes sense to do every hundred years or so. And you do you do have staff? Do you have staff that works for you directly? Each council member has two staff. In the budget okay. of last year, um, my colleagues I didn't support this, but my colleagues added a staff to the council president and vice president role. So we each have two full-time staff and we are full-time council member, which is fairly unique. Um, just as a reminder, you know, we've, again, we've talked to other people. We had the mayor of Blaine on a couple of weeks ago and had to explain, again, do the unexplaining or the, the unwinding of that because in, in a city like Blaine, the mayor doesn't have staff, doesn't have an office at city hall and just, you know, it is very part-time and, you know, whatever. And so it's a, it's a much different animal in a city uh, the size of Minneapolis. So thanks. Uh, that, like I said, that's one of the things we nerd out on here. Some of the city uh, municipal government stuff that um, it's helped to kind of, it, it's a, it's a good basic education for people who don't spend a lot of time thinking about their city government, which I would think is the vast majority of people. You know, actually, in Hopkins, um, their mayor works for the city of Minneapolis by day. He's the director of our sustainability <laughs> department. So he has an office here. <laughs> but not that in is, his own uh, city hall. But not in his own city hall. <laughs> that is probably one of the quirkiest, nerdiest pieces of local government political trivia. That And it's fantastic. <laughs> and that's just, that's great. The, the, so the mayor of... Hopkins works Hopkins. for us. Works for the city of Minneapolis. That'd be a great trivia question. It's awesome. Let's talk a little bit about, and some of this was predicated, or some of this discussion we wanted to have with you was about a topic we've covered before. And in a, a previous episode, and started with conversations I've had with Jeff about city councils and their involvement in issues outside of what goes on in the city boundaries. In this particular case, some foreign policy stuff, foreign policy matters. Jeff, when he was on the Crystal City Council, and he led a conversation we had a few weeks ago about this subject, explained to me and talked about the relevancy of, and the importance of city councils focusing on the issues that are right in front of them, rather on some of these larger issues. And last week, uh, there was a resolution that was passed by the, the larger city council of Minneapolis regarding the ongoing conflict uh, between Hamas and Israel. Uh, and wanted to give you an opportunity just to talk about that resolution. And then I also want to bleed into some of what Jeff has talked about a little bit in the past about the appropriateness of, of those resolutions. But just give, if you can, for a minute, council member, give your backstory and, and a little bit of the narrative of last week and how this came about and some of the issues that you, you, you were trying to deal with and address. Yeah. Thank you for that opportunity, uh, because ultimately it was pretty unpopular here. Uh, last week, the city council passed one of the furthest reaching if not the most far-reaching statement regarding the Israel-Palestine conflict um, of, of any municipality that I've seen in the country. This literally came up at our very first non-business, simply council organizing meeting of the term. So early in January, this was put on our agenda at a meeting that's usually about um, internal nerdy council stuff. Who's going to be our council leadership? What committees are we going to be assigned to? What kinds of outside positions will we all serve on behalf of the city for? Um, that type of thing. Um, I made it clear in that meeting that this was not a topic appropriate for us to take up at all. Um, I explained that there were many other ways to promote a ceasefire in the Middle East, which um, everybody in that room was for a ceasefire, and I listed some different things we could do than doing a, a resolution. Um, but my colleagues proceeded regardless, and it was hard to hear in that first meeting because I was getting um, shouted down uh, by the public and the statement that I had used that unintentionally provoked this kind of complete corruption of the meeting was I said, war is hell. Uh, that's what I said. I was bullied. I was shamed. I was shouted down repeatedly. And the council president lost complete control of that meeting. Um, I don't think that we should go and take positions on foreign policy or foreign topics. Um, I am envious maybe of Jeff being able to get that kind of a, a rule set by his previous council. But but if and when we do, um, and I have been part of 
this in the past when we speak about foreign policy and conflict that is thousands of miles away. We really must do so to speak for our residents through a common microphone. So not in a divisive way. Um, most recently, I believe the Ukraine resolution um, did this uh, when the Ukraine, when, when Russia invaded Ukraine, um, our city council took up a resolution that was mostly um, the audience who came were people that work for and volunteer for our Ukrainian center in Minneapolis. It was about um, refugees that were here in our city. And it was speaking, um, it was speaking to lift up the voice of Ukraine in that situation. We, we got zero um, calls or feedback from Russians that live in our city that they felt this was inappropriate. Um, but when we, may, when we speak like this, we really must do so in a way that unifies our city and doesn't divide it. We, we can't be fueling fi fire of hurt um, or hatred. Um, to my knowledge, we still have American hostages being held by the terrorist organization of Hamas. And now we have a resolution in Minneapolis that doesn't address an entire marginalized segment of our city. So I, I said this last week that in my own memory, we have never done a resolution on foreign policy that wasn't completely unanimous and obvious to the body. Uh, if we can't do something that we all agree on, uh, I think that it's it's a bit of a vanity to take somebody's own personal agenda, and it's not about the need of our city's residents. So, well, excuse me. One of the things that I've talked about a lot in the past, probably ad nauseum at this point, is the role of an elected official at the local level and what that looks like. And I think, um, despite the fact that we would probably have many policy disagreements on norm, on you know many items of policy, uh, it feels that we're fairly aligned on what the role of a local official is. And, you know, I, I, I always go back to, and I really need to call the guy and tell him that because I've quoted him probably a hundred times in the last few months about this, but a, a staffer at the city said to me one time, you know, you are the only people who are elected to look out specifically for the residents of this city, right? There are, and, and that means, I think, it means even a bit more in a smaller city like ours because we have many layers of government, right? We have, there's, there's the city and then there's the county and there's the park board and there's all of these things and all of these people have little pieces of it, right? But the only people who were elected to, to represent and, and speak out for the residents of the city of Crystal, in my case, were the seven of us that were on that council and, and we needed to, and it was a reminder to kind of hyper-focus on the things that are local because nobody else is doing that. There's nobody else that is going to be looking out for your city more than you are. The other people, the county may take into consideration what your city wants at some level or the someone from the state may advocate for a specific project in your city or something like that. But that group of people are the only ones you know who are there to represent that city and that city alone, and that stuck with me for many years, and it really it really helped um, frame my thinking. And and you alluded to this before, and I'll, re uh, I'll just remind people because I probably talked about it before. But when I was on the council in Crystal, we passed a rule that forbade the kind of resolutions that your that that Minneapolis just passed, and basically said. If we're going to do resolutions, they have to have a crystal nexus. They have to be. So it would not have been inappropriate to, let's use the Ukraine example, to say if we had a Ukrainian population in crystal and they were hurting in some way or they were affected in some way, there, it would not have been inappropriate to bring that back to what's going on with our residents and how something is affecting our residents and what the city can do to support those residents. That would be entirely appropriate. What you see on the other side is, and I see this a lot in Minneapolis um, in particular, not to pick on Minneapolis, but it's just kind of the place that has the, the, this the most in, in Minnesota is when people get elected to the city council, they are feel they're in the role of super activist instead of part of the government. And you know, um, the, the, that 
now I have a microphone and now I get to be like all of the other people who come in and yell at people, but now I just get to do it from the other side of the dais. And that I think is a very harmful way of looking at things. It's also been interesting to me. One of the very things that happens for us, um, us little people, when we could get elected for the first time, you go through the league of Minnesota cities training and they give you this, they go through this whole deal about how you have a fiduciary duty to the city. And it, that is another thing that, that really makes your perspective change because you have, you have a legal obligation to do what's right for the city. And that may not always be the same as what's right for a particular group of citizens. And I don't know if you guys do League of Minnesota Cities training. I'm sure you don't because at one point I did note that the city of Minneapolis spends more on uh, legal services than Crystal spends on their entire budget. Um, but <laughs> we, so you probably do all that stuff in house, but we are I'm just curious if you guys, yeah, it's curious if you guys do that kind of, um, if you talk about that or if anybody ever has that conversation about your fiduciary duty to the city or what the role of an elected official should be. It is on our oath of office. So when we get sworn in day one, um, new year's day morning in this term, um, we take an oath and that is about our fiduciary responsibility. And what that means is our responsibility is to, um, is to the city. And that puts us, and I think there is, there are some different, different people on our city council now feel differently about that. They will go and vote against our own settlement agreements um, in lawsuits, right? To try and make a point, a point about how they feel. And it's not that the rest of us don't, um, feel similarly that that an individual was wronged or uh, that somebody deserves a certain amount of compensation for for being wronged or, or injured or having an asset of theirs injured. But um, our fiduciary responsibility has to be taken very seriously. And, um, and sometimes that's a little bit confusing to the public. Um, you, you touched on, Jeff, um, we do a lot of honorary resolutions as a city and things um, like our resolution for Ukraine was really um, more of that honoring a body of work, a, a community of people in a certain way. Um, honorary re resolutions are like greeting cards is what our city clerk says. If you can't write it on a greeting card, if you can't find it, you know, allegedly in, in a Hallmark row at a pharmacy, um, then it's not really an honorary resolution. Um, it, it's it, this, this re most recent resolution went into even an amendment process they wanted us to use to hammer out the details of it. Right. And so in, in an honorary resolution, that's, um, well, you mentioned as an elected person in local, local government, our primary job is to advocate for all the people in our city um, and that we're the only people that advocate for all the people in our city. And we can't just be um, one-sided there and advocating for just some of the people in our city. It's notable to me that St. Paul said at the beginning of this term that they would not be taking up a resolution, at least their council president said they would not be weighing into this um, conflict because that's not something they have a history of doing. And that's a little different. We could we could make that decision. Um, but if if to even remove the um, this particular Israel Hamas conflict out of our own organizing meeting and if people started reading between the lines, they would see a very different turn as to how we're operating this term versus last term. Last term, we created committees and government structures that were very balanced on things that we might disagree on, right? And, you know, we had a maybe slightly more I don't know how to say this in a in a broader term outside Minneapolis, a more moderate progressive city council because we're all <laughs> progressives, right? I am, I live, I live on the border. Well, not, not according to some of the feedback we're seeing online. You're you're basically at this point you're you're 
quite the conservative these days. You know, I, I am, I, I'm the conservative on the Minneapolis City Council, yet I am so far left. I am unelectable across the street from where I live in one of the nearby <laughs> suburbs. That's exactly the kind of progressive Democrat that I am. Um, but I think you'd see a different turn as to how we are operating, right? It's it's no longer, let's create balance in these committees. Let's have um, people vice chair committees that feel differently than maybe the majority of the city council. Um, what you saw in this organizing meeting, even outside this um, I don't know, honorary resolution that's really more of a foreign policy resolution um, is you saw a turn of stacking every single committee to a far left leaning kind of committee of council. And what that really showed me was that in this in this process that the majority of the body outlined that we would be taking up amendments to this the start of this resolution, there were, um, it, it was not going to go well, right? There were, first, there were no number of amendments that I could possibly make to this resolution that would make it tenable and therefore something I could support. Um, but also, that's, that would have amounted to a public flogging and it would ultimately make a lot of the people, the, the neighbors, of our city, many of them Jewish, to feel absolutely demoralized by that process. So I didn't. I didn't suggest any amendments to the process. At the end of the day, I suggested a substitute that was about calling for a ceasefire with our Jewish mayor, which is a really big deal. And instead, we have this other piece, this other resolution that got, that prevailed. So I do want to ask you about that, uh, about the alternative that you presented and, and why that was important for you to offer a compromise um, and kind of a little bit of details of, of the differences between what you offered and what was accepted beforehand. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess if to start back, I mean, my sensitivity to this in terms of our city as a whole began when the Minneapolis Federation of Teachers actually brought forward a resolution, and you spoke about this in a previous podcast. Um, they brought forward a resolution last fall that caused a lot of um, hurt and pain uh, to parents of our Minneapolis public school children. And um, 27 constituents had reached out to me right after that resolution and said that they no longer feel that their children are safe in Minneapolis public schools, if that is the kind of statement that their members are going to take. Now, they, after that fact, um, did issue a correction or a, I'd say maybe a correction to what they had said the previous month. Um, but that damage had already been done. And my work and helping them advocate um, was really these parents, they didn't want the teachers union. They didn't want our city to go weighing in on one side of this conflict. They didn't want us to weigh into this conflict. They wanted to focus on, um, in the case of teachers, they wanted the teachers to focus on teaching their children and keeping a safe school environment. And for their city, they wanted our city to focus on city kinds of matters. It wasn't a one way or the other. It was a, let's take a step out of this. Now, my colleagues, I brought forward, well, I put on the dais two substitute motions. One was the one from Hastings, Minnesota, because it had been referenced quite often to me as, well, even Hastings, Minnesota, this small city of about half the size of one of our wards could do this. Why can't we? And I wanted to really put in front of my colleagues, this is the language of Hastings, Minnesota. We could all sign on to this right now. At this point, it sounds a little dated, um, but I really wanted to show that, that this is not an equivalence. Uh, the Hastings version of a, a ceasefire resolution and what we were putting forward to vote on at that meeting. The substitute that I brought forward um, was one that I, I did move and it did get um, three votes and one abstention. Um, 
sorry, four votes and one abstention. Um, and it was still calling for a ceasefire, uh, but acknowledging, trying to put into words the kind of support and pain on both sides of this. Um, you know, back to something that Jeff said, our job is to take care of the people of our city. And I think it's pretty obvious that doing a resolution, hammering out perfect language in some way or another was never going to happen and it was never going to make anybody feel supported, safe, or better. Um, I pointed out in private conversations uh, to colleagues many times that I'm not saying we ignore this issue. We pretend that this conflict doesn't exist. I'm not suggesting we don't acknowledge that there's pain in our city, but there are ways to do this other than trying to put words to paper. We could call, for example, we could call an adjourned council meeting and use our gavel to make sure that different community leaders of many different organizations that work to support um, parts of our community have an opportunity to speak thoughtfully, not not with the purpose of trying to change people's minds, but rather just to open people's minds and, and to learn a little bit about the personal stories um, that are wrapped up in this current Israel-Hamas conflict. Our mayor, um, our mayor who is Jewish, has a very long, I think it's 12 minutes video of him just starting to speak personally a little bit about his past and where his family comes from. Now, I knew this mayor only the time that I've been here. We both walked into City Hall the first day together. We've both been here for 10 years. There was so much in that video that I didn't know about his family history, um, about where he's from. And it, and it really, I think, starts a conversation if people want to have a conversation or dialogue in a thoughtful way about learning about one another. And I would hope that something like that would be advocating and keeping the people in our city safe because it would hopefully tamp down feelings of, uh, of negativity, of hatred, um, and it would perhaps tamp down some of the Islamophobic and anti-Semitic kinds of rhetoric that it feels like we're making okay, and it just shouldn't be. We talked a little bit on a recent episode about how it's hate. It's hard to hate up close, right? It, once you do have those relationships and you do have a little bit of that background knowledge, I mean, it really does. We're all humans, but it humanizes when you when you have a little bit more of that experience. Um, so when you guys were having those conversations of having having those meetings where you bring in some more community members, have some of those stories, hear a little bit more about that. Was that not well received or? or what was what was the response to My that? My suggestion, suggestion was that that would be a productive way to go about this, and that's not the path that you're choosing here. That we could instead choose to do this or many other kinds of ideas. Um, it was basically said plainly to me: No, we're doing this resolution. This was a this was a foregone conclusion. Um, a couple of my colleagues acknowledge that they absolutely knew none of any sort of amendment I would bring to such a resolution would um, would be actually successful even. So right. this is pretty tough uh, for you to do here, but I guess I'm going to ask you to look into your crystal ball a little bit. Um, where does the Minneapolis City Council go from here? It was a rough start to the term, right? Um, uh, whether people want to admitted or not, um, what the actions that they took were divisive. They've caused division. They've caused um, lots of consternation. Um, how does how do you guys as a group move forward and get to good governance? Yeah. Um, I, I think that's going to be tough. Uh, we had an off-site kind of training, our own version of an off-site, and it really in the past in previous terms we've attempted to do strategic planning at such a time and place and where we were stuck right here at the beginning beginning of this year um, was simply in how do we begin to trust one another as colleagues and what are what are how do we communicate or not communicate to one another um, and and what are kind of some basic agreements that we could get to? But it never it never 
or I would say it has not yet gone so far as to being able to say, here are the, you know, three or four large initiatives that we can all agree to advance as as a body, as a governing body. Um, what you saw, though it wasn't talked about at all yet, as far as I've seen, um, are some notices of intent to bring forward um, new policies on on safe outdoor spaces, so like encampment policies. And um, there was one about uh, entertaining the idea of voter initiative referendums or referendum petitions to put things on the ballot uh, more in a different way than we've ever done in the past. So those are big. That is driving a very um, serious agenda at the very kickoff of our term. And so my crystal ball is, isn't really a secret. It's kind of seeing those notices of intent start to move forward. And, and there's very little information about that now um, available to anybody, even me. But we will see as council meetings go on um, what our colleagues mean by that. And I have my suppositions, but it's not based on fact or conversations. One observation I want to make is something that you referenced in, in your kind of initial remarks about this resolution was the intensity level at council meetings and across all of politics has amped up a bit. You were first elected in 2013. That's correct. And so I'd like you for, if for a moment, if you could talk about a little bit of what you've noticed as an elected official. We've done other episodes talking about protests at elected officials' homes and the, the rise of animosity that seems to be happening. And when you were discussing a bit of you know the experience you you went through last week, there does seem to be an increased intensity projected at elected officials just in terms of the, their desire to just to scream, to yell, their willingness to just use their voice not to engage in a conversation, but to shut down and stymie conversation and to dictate to. Have you noticed that since your time being on the city council and politics as a whole? Absolutely. Um, you know, I think that in my experience, I had three plus years of serving on this body uh, before Donald Trump was elected as our president. And I've got to say that it was the election of Donald Trump that just started to tank trusting government overall, and it seemed to normalize and make okay um, a very visceral, um, nasty kind of way that it was appropriate to speak to to staff. To, to, to our city staff as residents speaking to city staff, or in particular, um, in my own personal experience and, and many others here at City Hall, in people's ability to speak to elected officials. Um, it really changed if to try and pinpoint a time with the Donald Trump presidency. And I don't know that it has ever recovered. Um, while it's nice to see people with such an increased focus um, where people are often getting their information from uh, gets to also be sort of corrupted, right? Like I hope that you have a lot of listeners on this show to want to hear this kind of a take and inform themselves. But, um, you know, we have a lot of unanimity on our city council, believe it or not, that no one ever hears about. Um, when we take divided votes, there's it's usually a conflict between a policy that sounds good to people who are maybe um, uninformed, but does not work in practice. Rent control is a perfect example of this. You know, if if you could only change my cold, cold heart to care about renters in our city, I do. Right. But but it starts with not that sense of trust and what uh, what the tools are to make this better, but rather an assumption of you must live in a glass castle somewhere. Um, and, you know, my time on this council has actually been characterized by some of these uniquely challenging and politically defining moments. Um, I've taken some lonely votes and positions that were very unpopular amongst my colleagues. Um, 
in the wake of George Floyd's murder in 2020, nine of my 13 colleagues stood on a stage at Powderhorn Park and pledged to end, literally not to defund, to end the Minneapolis Police Department. Um, I was at Powderhorn Park that day. I thought it was important to show up, but I didn't join them on the stage. And when asked about that by a reporter, I said I took an oath of office. Uh, I spoke out about why we absolutely needed reform, why I was there to listen to people who were very um, emotional in that space, but why I thought end was the wrong way to achieve our goals of public safety in our city. Um, so there is, um, you're right, there is an intensity. Um, I don't need to go into some of the um, inappropriate, you know, personal, you know, protests at people's homes and stuff. Um, there's a lot of data that shows a lot of negative impacts and unintended consequences of that type of thing. And unfortunately, I'm afraid it prevents good people to, from running for office people who have young families, people who um, are concerned about what that's like, um, people who, um, you know, are, aren't up for all of that kind of public scrutiny, who really would come to do good governance, but are not willing to subject themselves to that. You know, if I might, uh, when I first ran for office, there was a long ago former council member that I met for coffee with. It was Sandy Colvinroy. And she said to me at the time, she said, well, Linnae, um, I think that running for office is sort of like taking a bath in the middle of the street. And I had no idea what this woman meant. I thought that was the craziest thing I've ever heard. What is she even talking about? And, you know, <laughs> I sure came to understand that through that um, through that whole election cycle um, of how you are there completely vulnerable to be judged in whatever ways, very inappropriate ways by other people. Um, and there's nothing your family can do but like watch it happen. They can't weigh in on it. That would be bad. Um, there's nothing you can do but be taking a bath. It's basically a bathtub in the middle of the street. At all times. Uh, and back in 2013, you know, I would get criticism like of of a taupe suit that I was wearing on some mailer and some woman who criticized my shoes and told me to take the lawn sign from in front of her house down because I what was I doing in those shoes? There were some very high heels. I either had bad judgment or accepted bad advice. And that's not who she wants representing her. And, you know, that was 2013. Um and we've come a long way from that in a positive way, uh, but uh, it, it has it, it, that metaphor from Sandy Colvinroy has really stuck with me. That running for office is like taking a bath in the middle of the street. I, I'm afraid it's just gotten a little more dangerous. <laughs> that's a great. That's a great quote. I think it's spot on. Well, and as you mentioned, we also, uh, you know, the your family and, you know, other people, it has prevented people from wanting to run for office. We did even talk about a recent op-ed uh, end of last year, middle of last year for, from Mayor Fry talking about the um, verbal and, you know, other attacks on, on his family and how him and his wife were actually debating having another child because of bringing a child into the environment and, and how tough that is. So, you know, again, like we might not always agree on all the issues and I think your and my political stances may be uh, quite different, but I think it takes a lot of courage to be willing to be a dissenter in a lot of these things and and take the hard path of having to explain, you know, like you'd mentioned a couple of the things with us about the practicality and, and you know, things going into practice versus just standing behind a policy that sounds good. So I know that's not easy. I know in this situation, there is so much animosity from both sides of you know, uh, of this conflict. And so I know for you to, to not only not vote for this, but offer us a, a, an alternative 
has to have been tough. And I'm sure you've gotten emails and, uh, you know, from constituents and, and from even maybe some of your colleagues and some words that um, are tough to push through. So, you know, again, I think it's important that you remember that you know, being on the dissenter on the minority side when you really believe it and you're representing your constituents is an important thing to do. Um, I do want to ask before we wrap here, um, so what comes next? So from my understanding, um, we haven't had a veto from the mayor yet. There is potential. There is one could come. He could sit and not do anything. He could uh, say yes. What, what is what is the next step with this resolution that was voted uh, passed by nine of the 13 members? Yeah. So the mayor has five days to act on this one way or other, five business days. So I think that's then until Wednesday through Wednesday of this week. Um, the mayor could choose to veto this resolution. Um, all actions with very, very limited um, exceptions are able to be vetoed by the mayor. Um in doing so, he'd have to outline his reasons for veto in a letter. And just to say in in our city, and I think in most places, a veto is pretty unusual by a mayor. And then it would come back to council um, immediately for an override vote. And so you would need nine affirmative people present in voting that day to say, no, our resolution stands. Um, if the mayor chooses, it, 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 and that's something that I know he's he's weighing actively, is how long do we want to pro, um, prolong this in the discussion of the public and and keep on causing some of this pain that some of our community has been going through? Um, another option would be to not not sign it, so this doesn't have um, the mayor's approval, but then it just ends it goes in it it is an active you know work of this body but it's not signed by our mayor that is what um the mayor of San Francisco recently did at the end of her consideration of um of a resolution from the city council uh, then the mayor could also sign it i don't think any of us believe that he will sign this resolution uh, and then it just immediately you know comes into uh, goes into effect. It's published. All policies and ordinances are published in Finance and Commerce magazine, and they essentially go into effect. There's nothing to really go into effect here, so it's a little different than uh, a legal motion or a a business license or a or a new ordinance or something like that. I just wanted to say how much I appreciate you coming on. It's so important, and we disagree on some policy aspects. But it's so important that we have these conversations and have this have to just talk and just have conversations. And it's something that's really become really our brand and what we believe in on our podcast is just having conversations. It was just delightful to talk to you, even when I know there's probably going to be some issues that we're going to disagree on. And I hope we can talk about some of those maybe down the road. But I really hope. The experience of coming on was something that you'd consider coming back. And even if there is a, a policy disagreement, we could have a, a discussion. And I think it would be good to, to have some of that. But I just really appreciated you taking the time to come on and be willing to talk with us and, and give your perspective on what's been going on in Minneapolis and your role as a city council member. It was just a great conversation. Thank you. Um, you know, I I just want to add that I um, this has been a really especially difficult thing. Um, given geopolitical forces uh, for something like me and my city council position to to try and weigh in on or to have a policy position on. Um, but I didn't understand the extent of Islamophobia in our country until Donald Trump was elected, well, was running for office and said, so many terrible things about such an important part of our city and our community. Um, and I also didn't really understand how present anti-Semitism was until, uh, until our mayor became the mayor. And I saw yep. on a very personal basis consistently all of the absolutely anti-Semitic hatred that he has to manage on a regular basis. And both of these things are wrong. 
and anything we can do by talking about this more to to um, to push those things out of our space is really important. So thank you for continuing to take up this topic. I really do appreciate it. And I hope that I have an opportunity to come back on something we disagree on and talk through that with you all too. We would like that very much. And, and you really encapsulated the issues here of both anti-Semitism and the Islamophobia that is out there right now. It's an issue that is really hitting a number of communities. And I appreciate your willingness on such a difficult and very raw emotional subject to so many people coming on and just being and, and offering a perspective and being a voice for just uh, calm, deliberative action. And that's really come through today. And I was really impressed by the conversation. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time to come and explain this and chat through a little bit of the process, how these resolutions go, the conversation behind it and, and your stance. We really appreciate you taking the time to, again, stand up against the majority of the council and, and have those conversations. It's an important part of the elected official process. So thank you for doing that. And, and we look forward to chatting with you again soon. Thank you. You know, it's going to be interesting in Minneapolis, like Jeff mentioned, that we have to keep going through all these elections here. So we have like one year to govern and then one year in a highly over-politicized environment where we all have these other full-time jobs at night, which is rerunning for our seats. We just finished up with our interview with Minneapolis Councilwoman Lene Palmisano. Um, your thoughts? I thought it was a great interview. I will say to you, I think she's really stuck in a tough spot on the city council. She was incredibly thoughtful. Um, I think she recognizes the, the issue. She understands the complexity of the issues. And she's trying to just serve the city and recognize that we have to serve every, that the city has a responsibility to serve their constituents, regardless of their backgrounds. And wading into these issues, these foreign policy issues, um, complicates the ability to do that when we're picking sides. Um, again, my entire framework in thinking about this issue is, is comes from the initial conversations that I had with Jeff when he was elected to the city council, which is he brought this up to me as something that he wanted to tackle and deal with. And we made reference to it in that interview. And so I had not really thought in many ways about, I mean, having worked at the legislature, there are resolutions that are that are passed on a variety of issues. But I didn't really start to really think about whether these whether local elected officials, city councils weighing into these issues was appropriate until I first had that conversation with Jeff. And so these issues when they come up at the city these city council, whether it's been Minneapolis, whether it's been Hastings, whether it's been the locals teacher union, is through that framework that I that I had with Jeff about City governments shouldn't be doing this. Local governments should be doing shouldn't be doing this type of stuff. And and so that's always my gut instinct on that type of thing. And so it was good to have that conversation. It was good to hear that she shared that perspective. And of course, it was good to have Jeff on to kind of help kind of explain and, and discuss some of those issues. Cause it does seem, uh, at least I think she flat out said that, you know, she liked the the approach that I think Jeff had with his city council in getting some of these things just kind of this kind of resolution kind of just done with. Um, well, I think, I think there's, there's a lot of opportunity. You have the opportunity to go local on these things. You just have to think about them differently and you have to do more work. And, you know, it's, it's really easy to go down the path of whatever is popular within your political constituency at any given time. Then you get cheered and then people come to the meetings and they're happy with you. Um, it's not easy to stand up against something. It's not easy to have the contrary opinion. It's not easy to, um, it, governing is not easy. I mean, governing is, is a very difficult thing and it's a, it's a lot easier to be a super activist and to, um, into, you know, get your adoring fans on social media to talk about how great you are. I mean, that's, that's, um, you get that immediate kind of high from, you know, look at how great everyone thinks I am. I got a million retweets on something. Um, but governing is not, governing is hard. Governing is difficult. It's a, it's a, it's a tough and a serious task. You know, if I could, if I, if you guys would let me, you would, let me be a bit self-indulgent for a moment. It's interesting. I didn't expect to go this way, but the conversation um, at the very end about Islamophobia and 
and anti-Semitism. Um, you know, I've had some conversations uh, with my children lately, and children have a way of. This is kind of a cliche at this point, but but it's but it's so true. Children have this way of making you look at the world a little bit differently. And we were talking about the other day. We were talking about. Um, the story of a, a little girl in New Orleans who was black. This was 1960, and how um, the law changed so that she could go to school with the white children, and how all of the other parents pulled their kids out of school, and um, she ended up going to school alone. And a teacher from Boston flew in and became her teacher and taught her in an empty classroom. Um, and we had that conversation with my kids. My son was reading it in a book and trying to explain to children what that was all about um, was so difficult because you it, to take something like that extreme form of racism and pare that down and try and explain to a, ch a kid why grownups would do that to a child or why that would happen was so so difficult and i and it's that and the the point here is that it's the same thing when you talk about if i had to explain to my children why people hate each other because of what religion they are i'm not going to be able to do that i'm not going to be able to have a meaningful conversation with a child and say well because because it's because it doesn't make sense that's why because you can't because it's nonsensical, because when you boil it down, there's no reason why human beings should treat each other that way. And I, I, I don't want to sound um, naive or Pollyanna-ish at this point, but I mean, but when you're forced to have those conversations and bring it down to that level and stop and check and, and think about it, it's just, it's so, um, it's so ridiculous. And we spend so much time talking past each other and we spend so much time not listening and not getting to know each other and you know um the the piece about the video with with the mayor and how the council member learned so much more about the mayor from watching his video than you know but those are things that could have happened you know in, in personal one-on-one -on -one conversations but just it just never came up but it's just that that whole thing of uh, about how um what did you say becky it's hard to hate up close i love that line that's a that's a great that's a great line and a great sentiment. It is. It's very difficult. It's very easy to hate an abstract. It's much harder to hate somebody when they're in front of you and, and you're having a face-to-face -face conversation. Well, that wasn't mine. That was Shannon Watson's from our recent interview with her. But I think, you know, as uh, council member shared also of, you know, some of the ridicule and comments she would get at the beginning of her suit and her shoes and how she mentions that's changed. I mean, it it's, it's just wild as we go through this world of, um, you know, what we judge and are, you know, aggressive towards others about that has, we've gotten so much better about taking that away from body shape and appearance and clothes and those kind of things. But now this new rise of hatred that's just so much worse is, is just insane. And so, you know, watching this, I, I know I've had conversations probably with you guys, but with friends as well of watching as we see different local governments do these sort of resolutions and how absurd they kind of are, you know, on their face. But I think when it comes down to it, this resolution was being talked about having a conversation and uh, council member Palmasano, you know, offered a suggestion, offered a solution. I, I love that she, you know, went and said, why don't we bring some folks in that, that are, you know, in these different groups? Why don't we bring some folks in, have conversations, see where we can go? And that being shot down, I think, just shows exactly that, that the folks that were driving this did not care really about any of the background stuff. They wanted to make their point, and that was that was it. And um, it's unfortunate. It is very alienating for a, a large part of the population, which we've learned through our conversations with Jacob Milner and others on this podcast and just through the news that um, the, the level of hate that there has been towards the Jewish community here in the United States in a realm the world and, uh, you know, the security for them to go to their synagogues and schools and, and different things. Um, it's really, really unfortunate. And, um, you know, anytime we have, you have a local government that is putting something in a resolution in an official format that, that does also 
force that division and and force these issues is is really troublesome. Um, so I appreciate her time coming in and articulating some of those thoughts to us and some of her efforts behind the scenes um, that appear to you know not not, not be successful, but um, still still good good to do. So I appreciate her coming on to to chat with us about that. I don't see how the Jewish community as a whole feels good about what the city of Minneapolis just did. When we were speaking with Ethan Roberts with the JCRC about the resolution that was passed by the local teachers union in Minneapolis about uh, the conflict between Israel and Hamas, he also just touched on how students, parents, and teachers of that who participated in that school, students who attended that school, uh, parents who sent their kids to that school, teachers who worked at that, those schools, and family members of teachers or students at this school, how they would feel, how they felt their school just basically spat in their face and how they didn't, they weren't looking out for them. It, it does create a level of uncomfortableness. This is just really tough language. And I want to just read a quote that the council member said. She was quoted as saying, quote, ceasefire is not what this is about. This is about wanting to become the city with the most, most radical far-reaching resolution to support one side. And I do not read your language in your way. I've consistently urged a different path here. And she's spot on about that, is that it isn't balanced. I know she touched on her, her focus is, but it's not about balance. This is tilted towards one side. And I think it's tough to look at what's going on in the city of Minneapolis and say right now, they're really focusing on local issues that really matter. It wasn't that this resolution just passed, but it was the celebratory applause and the cheering and the just uh, proud. And on the so flip side, uh, on the flip side, the shouting down, right? I mean, because right. that's the other side of it. It's not just, it, it can't just be cheering because I got my way. It has to be the flip side of, of the booing and the and the threats and all of the nasty stuff that comes with someone who dares to have a different opinion. And I, I just, I can't imagine being in a position where you feel so, I, I don't know, insecure in your opinion that you need 100% of the people to agree with you. I mean, I just, I don't know. It just, it's, the, the the idea that you would ever come to a meeting and shout at the speaker to make them be quiet is is um, I mean it's just un-American <laughs> that people are should be allowed to speak and you can have your opinion and I can have my opinion and at the end of the day the majority rules but but we do not need to be treating people like this. May I ask you both and and either one go forward again? I'd ask and it's a question I've asked in another episode. What do the council members who put forward this resolution and voted in support of this resolution, what do they think is going to happen? Just please, if you would, what do they think is going to happen once this resolution is passed? Do they think that this is going to stop what's going on in the Middle East? Do you think that this is, what is the objective here? Where's, where does this go? What's, give me the line of, give me the dots that you think happen. Okay, so this passes. What do these people think is the follow-up and the next step and next step? Where do they think this, the passing of this resolution goes? I mean, one thing I will say is, you know, with this time in the political environment that we are in, you know, we do see local electeds and celebrities be asked about these things, right? So there are people that genuinely do care what a city council member, but that for me is like, go tweet your response. You don't need to do a resolution of this sort that it puts it in a formal way. Um, because I really think it is just for their personal views, for them to be able to be anytime in any place go, well, I passed a resolution. I voted for this. But like you said, it doesn't matter. No one involved in this conflict, um, Hamas, Israel are not going to be like, oh, thank God, Minneapolis City Council, we let's do ceasefire now. That's just, it's just ridiculous. It's a waste of resources. It's a waste of time. And it's just it's so infuriating to me. I mean, I don't live in Minneapolis, but it's just really infuriating that this is something that um, they've taken this much time and energy to then also um, be so hurtful to a large part of a community, to their mayor. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll let Jeff answer as well. You know, the only way that I can answer that is based on the feedback that I've gotten when I have said repeatedly that 
that people should stick to stick their to their lane. And I, I can't get what I would say a good answer back. The best I can get is, oh, what you don't think that so and so group has First Amendment rights, which of course is not the argument that I'm making. Or I, I think the closest thing to a to a um, valid, not a valid argument, but the closest thing to at least a comprehensible argument is something along the lines of there are people in their community asking them to do this. So therefore they should represent them and therefore do it. Um, which of course is entirely flawed because there are people in your community asking you not to do it. So therefore there should not their wishes be equally balanced. Um, so I don't know. I'd love to have one of them you know, I'd love to have the conversation with them and, and, you know, uh, it's not going to happen, but if any member of the, uh, Minneapolis city council wants to come on the podcast to talk about why this was a great thing for them to do, I'm sure we would welcome them, uh, to, to listen and have a respectful conversation and I'd love to have that conversation. Uh, I find that unlikely just based on some of the feedback that, uh, council member Palisamo has already gotten about how dare she speak to people, um, who uh, may not be of the same political stripe as her and how dare she, you know, give us the time of day. So, and she's going to get more of that um, after this episode, which is, which sucks. Um, and that's, that's too bad, but I'm glad that she weighed the negativity that she's going to get for daring to come and talk to us um, with coming to have a good conversation and, you know, get her position out and have a respectful conversation because we need to have more respectful conversations. So I'd love to have Jeremiah Ellison or any other member of the, of the, uh, of the Minneapolis city council come on and explain why they thought that this was an important thing to do and why this was, a, why this needed to be done and why, why the alternate paths were not, were not good enough. That would be a, that would be a fascinating conversation, but, um, I think it's unlikely. Well, for another day then. Sure is. I, I Unfortunately, I think this conflict is, um, I, I don't see the end in sight, so I'm sure we will have con continued conversations about it. Jeff, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me back. Always Hi. a pleasure. We want to thank you for listening to The Breakdown with Broadcorp and Becky. Before we go, show some love for your favorite podcast by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or on the platform where you listen. You can leave a review or give us a shout out on our website or across all social media platforms at at BBBreakPod. The Breakdown with Broadcorp and Becky will return next week. Thank you again for listening.